Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. All right. All right. I made sure I said cue claps, and so they clapped for me. So thanks, guys. But good morning, Project Church. It is so good to be in our church building, and we're so glad that you've joined us wherever you're joining us from, probably in your homes, maybe in your cars, whatever device you're joining us from. We're so glad that you joined us for online church. And listen, I just want to echo everything that Pastor Caleb and the worship team um, presented. And essentially it is that we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a miracle-working God. And he is not done working in 2020. Somebody say amen to that. Are you thankful that this year is not over yet and we have several months left for us to see God do a miracle. But the thing that is happening here at Project Church is that we are standing in the middle of a miracle. And so this uh, message today, you might be thinking, great, miracles all around, and now you're going to talk about divorce. Wah, 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 wah. I mean, come on, you're thinking it. It crossed your mind. You even considered turning it off. And I'm saying that for maybe fairly serious reasons. The word divorce can trigger some of us, but I want you to know right now in the marriages that are, um, people are working in right now, the people who are watching who are saying, I do not want a divorce, I'm hanging on by a thread, that there is a miracle that can take place because we're opening the word of God and we're going to see the heart of God as it relates to marriage, as it relates to divorce, and it's going to change us. The truth of God's word is transformative. We have an opportunity to be changed in this lifetime, in our marriages, and we can reverse the curse of divorce over our lives. And I'll tell you this right now, with all the excitement of the building, I would rather talk about faith and futuristic goals and the vision that God has given us. And I got a little like disappointed when Caleb scheduled me on this message. I'm not going to lie. Because I'm like, come on, let's just talk about the building and what God can do, and let's awaken and let's see revival happen. And I want you to know, if we can understand the truth of this gospel message, we're going to understand that marriages are our future. The marriages and the health of families, the health of marriages are the future of this church. And so we want to see God do something in you today. So again, we've been in Mark Mark, we've, we're at the point where in Mark 10, we're going to go verses 1 through 12, um, and we're, we're catching up, and we, here's the thing, we go verse by verse, and that's expository preaching, and the best thing about expository preaching is that we can't ignore any topics in the Bible. I mean, we can't, if we're truly going to say, like Project Church says, like we say here, this is a part of our culture, that the Bible is our guide, then we can't leave out anything in the Word of God. And so we choose not to, and for you who are tempted to turn this off, dig in and understand that God wants us to grow through a difficult word. So before I jump into the word, I just want to give us a couple thoughts that will frame our understanding moving into Mark 10. First, I want you to understand that we have a better chance of not divorcing than we think. 
here's what the culture has been telling us. The culture has been telling us that 50% of marriages end in divorce. And as you really look into first-time marriages, second-time marriages, third-time marriages, second- and third-time marriages, they are uh, far above 50%. It's 60 and 70% that those marriages, second- and third-time marriages, fall apart. But can you please be encouraged that actually, when you look at just first-time marriages, those actually, that, that statistic is actually only 20% of them end in divorce. But when the culture repeatedly tells you, and it's by the letter of the law, this statistic is all marriages, 50%, we all, we all say, well, what's the point? What's the point? But let me tell you this. Let's first not find our hope in statistics, right? We're not going to find hope in statistics, but we're going to understand the truth of some statistics, and I'm going to find hope in that. Shanti Feldhan, a researcher and a graduate from Harvard University, has done a number of these uh, statistical um, observations that has really looked into this. And you've probably heard that 50% of marriages end in divorce, whereas also Christians, marriages in Christianity, they end in divorce by 50% as well. Well, that also, according to this researcher and according to the statistics, that for Christians, then those Christians are defined as people who attend church every week and they pray. Once a week, they attend church and they pray. These Christians, their um, statistic, their percentage, or their failure rate is actually 15%. So let me tell you right now, if you're listening, find hope. Find hope. Don't listen to what the culture is repeatedly telling us and telling you to be disillusioned by this institution of marriage, this covenant thing that you have between God. There is hope. And there's hope I see even in that statistic that if you are part of a faith-believing community and you are a part of meeting with that community once a week and if you are committed to prayer and you believe in the power of prayer in your marriage, then something can happen. A miracle can take place in your marriage. Second, I want you to understand that before we go into Mark, that God is in a better mood than you think. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, he has all this, these stipulations on, on divorce and all these stipulations on um, being remarried, and he just has all these laws. He even says in Malachi 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And we're all like, man, if he hates divorce, then my, let's not even get married. And then, so I don't even fall into that. And we just see God as an unloving, bad mood God. But I want to remind you that God is in a good mood. And when you think about divorce, you actually see a gracious father giving a gracious allowance when marriages are falling apart. There's a lot of nuanced subject matter when it comes to marriage and divorce, and we don't want to ignore that. But we want to understand, before we go into the scripture, that we serve a good God. He's in a good mood, and he's a gracious father. He loves you. And if you, in this moment, feel any shame, if you feel any um, guilt, or if you feel any condemnation, that is not from a gracious, loving Father. If you feel hopeless today, if you are in despair today, understand that we serve a God who's in a good God. He is gracious, and he's willing to meet you where you're at and lift you from that pit of depression. No matter where your marriage is right now, we serve a God who wants to bring it up and make it a God-glorifying relationship. So let's jump in, finally, into Mark 10, verses 1 through 2. 
And I, or excuse me, 1 through 12. And I know Caleb, he spoke last week, and it was another intense message on holiness. Make sure you check out our website and all of our um, uh, messages on YouTube so you can catch up. But we find ourselves here with Jesus, and he's about six months out before he's going to die on the cross, and he's very well aware that his time on earth is ending. And he's very focused on teaching the disciples about what they need to know once he leaves this earth. They've been walking by sight with Jesus, but he wants them to now, after he, li- after he leaves this world, he wants them to walk by faith when he's no longer there. And so let's pick it up, Mark 10, 1 through 12. And again, let me just preface this. This message is about divorce, but it's also about discipleship. Jesus uses these Um, these opportunities, these contentious issues as teaching moments to disciple us closer to him and for us to understand how to walk out this life the way he did, all right? So just understand that this is going to um, truly impact your life and help you understand the way Jesus wants to disciple us in this moment. So Mark 10, 1 through 12, um, starting at verse 1, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as he was And as was his custom, he taught them. As was his custom, he taught them. Remember that. Verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, what did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Verse 5, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female for this reason, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and she she marries another man, she commits adultery. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that it's the truth that guides us. It is a light into our path, a lamp into our feet, and a light into our path. And we can trust it. It can be our guide. But, God, I pray that you would give us greater revelation than we've ever had reading this passage before. God, it's a new day, and you have new revelation for us. So we open up our hearts and our minds to all that you want to teach us today. We commit this time to you in your precious and holy name. Amen. 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 So, again, I want you to... Think about that verse in the very beginning. We see that Jesus, again, is um, confronted by crowds, and Pharisees are trying to trip him up again, and he, they're testing him. And, um, and, and he, and, but you need to understand, in the first verse, he says what he tended to do was to teach. He wanted to teach the people. And in the very next verse, it says that the Pharisees come into the picture, and they test him. Now, that, to me reminds me and brings attention to the fact that oftentimes testing moments in our lives are teaching moments for Jesus. When we are tested, God wants to teach us. Jesus wants to teach us. It's in this moment that Jesus is using the topic of divorce to disciple us. This is almost less about what his answer is for the Pharisees and more about how we respond to the Pharisees when we are tested. So I believe many of us here have been tested. Think about the times we are living in. Think about 2020. We have been tested. 
And so how are we going to respond? Jesus, through the teaching of divorce, is going to show us how to respond to the tests of this life. So how do we respond to tests? Number one, we got to understand the test. Verse two, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You know, we all know the verse, James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials and tests of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, you know, this is producing a lot of, like, excitement, right, in you? Just know that you're going to be tested. Know that it's going to produce steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, build your character, grow in your perseverance, tests. Is that exciting or what? And, I, I, and that's great because I think sometimes when we think about tests, we're like, it's just an opportunity to get better. You know, I, I'm tested and then God's just giving me an opportunity to grow, blah, 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 yep, blah, blah. But sometimes we have to understand that we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And here's the thing. The Pharisees weren't just trying to enter into a theological teasing conversation like, hey, Jesus, what do you mean? They weren't friends with him in this moment, okay? And they weren't just, you know, it wasn't like a test that he was going to pass. They were wanting to judge him. They were wanting him to choose a side. There's a couple views in this time, and you got to understand the context. There's a couple ways that the people in this day were thinking about what divorce was all about. There was a liberal standpoint, and there was a conservative standpoint on marriage. And don't get that confused with today's um, terms of political conservatism and liberalism. Um, but I want you to understand that the liberal view that some of these Pharisees had was that a man can divorce their wife at any time for any reason. If she cooked a bad meal, he could divorce her. If somebody looked um, cuter than her, then, you know, he could divorce her. If she just was not, if she wasn't measuring up to what he wanted, it was, you know, there's so many things. If, if, if this was the case for us right now, and if I cooked you a bad meal, we would have been divorced like three or four times now. But, oh, wow, he just said more than that. You didn't hear that. Cool, thanks. Um, he says I cook bland, but it's because I'm healthy, okay, right? Somebody give me an amen. <laughs> so there's a liberal view of marriage, but there's also a conservative view on marriage, and that's only by sexual infidelity can you divorce somebody? I want you to understand that both are problematic. Both are problematic because both do not insert the value of women, first of all. Second of all, that's not the intent of the law. That's not the intent of the law. And, and before I move into that moment, I want you to understand that the Pharisees weren't friends with Jesus at this point. Their testing was a means of trapping him. How many conversations for everyone listening to me, have we entered into that are super nuanced subject matter, and there's one side or another side that we could pick, and we decide to just, like, fall into the trap of deci deciding between this side or the other. Do you remember the Anne series that we just did um, when we said it's, not, it's about either or, or it's not about either or, it's about both and? Go back to the series and listen to it and understand that Jesus gives us a perfect example on how to respond to these nuanced subject matter type of conversations. 
And that's a trap. Can I tell you right now, the conversations that we're having online with nuanced subject matter are a trap and an utter, complete distraction to what God is wanting to do in your life and what God is wanting to do in the church. Can we stop getting trapped by the Pharisees? Can we stop getting trapped by this world? Can we stop getting trapped and understand that God is going to rescue us from our tests and he's going to show us how to respond and he's going to show us in a way that is countercultural to this culture. So oftentimes, these traps disguised as tests, if we're not careful, are going to trip us up. I want you to see and watch how Jesus answers the questions. You know, sometimes when I see it the way he actually answers it, though, let's, let's turn to it. Verse 3, what did Moses command you, he replied. It's like, Jesus, can you be just like a little bit more straightforward? Just, just answer the question. and it, it Just make it easier, right? But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, understand that this is not just a, a test to see if you pass to the next level. No, it's a trap that's going to suck you in and suck the life out of you and suck all the joy and peace out of your life. And so what he, what he says is he answers the question by asking another question, and he points them back to the word of God. The only way that we are going to be able to handle these tests is if we, number two, respond with the word of God. Number one, understand the test when you're tested. And number two, respond with the word of God. Verse three, what did Moses command you? The, the words that Moses shared were commands that he heard directly from God. And so what he's doing is he's telling them and he's referring them back to the word. When people ask you questions of nuanced subject matter, make sure that you go back to the word. Psalm 119.11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God was hidden and, and stored up in God's heart. I mean, he is the word. <laughs> The word was with God. Jesus is God in human flesh, wrapped in human flesh. He was not going to sin in his response because the word was full inside of him. So anything that's going to come out of his mouth is going to be truth, and it's going to be seasoned with love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. And that is what, how we need to respond. We need to respond with the word of God. And I want to encourage you today that we need to start storing up the word in our hearts. We need to start memorizing the word. Now, I, I, I'm kind of taken back to high school when I was in honors physics. Yes, yes, I said honors, honors physics class. But um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I just want to remind Caleb how smart I am. Um, I, I think about how we could always use for tests a cheat sheet where we could write down every single one of the equations that we needed to solve problems. Now, while I just said that I was in an honors physics class, it did not help that I had what you called a TI-87 calculator. Does anybody remember the TI-87? We're dating ourselves, everybody who said yes. But there are these, these monstrous calculators that had like sine, cosine, and all that stuff. I don't remember, actually. Clearly, you'll, you'll hear in a second why I don't retain that information. And so this calculator, if you were a little bit of a techie, you could somehow get the game of Tetris on your calculator. So in physics class, I'm sorry, Dr. Hartman, I think that was my teacher's name, I would listen, kind of, 
and put my book up here, but I would be playing Tetris. What's wrong with me? I was playing Tetris, and so there were probably some classes where I didn't completely understand everything that was happening in physics class. So when it came to that time where I needed to take the test, I'm like, oh, good, I got my cheat sheet. I have all the equations, and I'll never remember, I'll never forget that, like, one of the tests that we were taking, it was a little bit more of a complex thing, and I had no idea how any of the equations worked with these problems. And I kid you not, I got a D minus on that test. And it was because I thought I was so smart that I got Tetris on my TI-87, and I, I, I missed out on some of the teachings. I'm not going to lie, and maybe fell asleep. So, so this, this, this is what happens when we get a cheat sheet, right? And I'm afraid that this is what we do when it comes to the Word of God. We say, we have the word of God and we'll apply it whenever we need it because we have it right here. It's on my nightstand. I never read it. It's super dusty, but I have it. I have the Bible right there. and I have a cheat sheet. I can, I can always refer to it whenever I need it. And then we come into times like we've come against right now in a pandemic, in political high tension kind of times. And we don't even know how to respond to the word of God because none of it has ever been stored up in our hearts. Church, we have got to read the word of God. It has got to be our guide. It's got to be stored up. I'm not telling you to dogmatically say, and he said to them, and he said to them, truly I say to you, truly I say to you, I am not telling you to memorize it. I'm telling you to read it. I'm telling you to talk about it with your family, write it on your doorpost, be in community groups with people, just discuss it, and it'll come to your memory because once you see the cheat sheet, you're like, oh, I knew that. Oh, that, I actually know that. I wasn't throwing that down. Just care. We're fine. The Bible's fine. But listen, guys, we need to get the word stored up in our hearts so that when we come against the enemy, it just fills out of it. You know, he thinks that he's like wounding us because he hits us, but all that comes out is the word of God, and truth is coming out of us. That's what happens in the battle. So store up, store up, memorize the word of God. And not dogmatically, but just have it in your heart so that it comes to your attention. When you are in a fight with your spouse, when you are in a fight and you're thinking, man, maybe this is just the end. I'm at the end of my rope and he's giving me this gracious allowance to just quit. No, he says to persevere. He says to not give up. He says that he hates divorce because he knows that it's going to hurt you in the long run. He knows that it's going to hurt your generation. He knows that it's going to hurt your kids. He's saying store up the word of God so that when you come into the battle, you're ready to ward the enemy off from those temptations to think the wrong thoughts that are only going to divide you and your spouse. Respond with the word of God. Next, I need you to remember the condition of your heart. Remember the condition of your heart. Jesus is quick to remind the Pharisees. After they respond to him, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. That's their response. But Jesus says, it was because your hearts. Somebody say, because your hearts. Were hard that Moses wrote you this law. What is the condition of your heart? Jesus cuts to the chase right here. Right now, he cuts to the chase, and he reminds us all that our heart is deceitfully wicked. And you know what happens when our heart is deceitfully wicked? We don't want to go in there and put a flashlight on it. We just want to stay on the external. Because there you don't touch those hidden parts, and nothing's, nothing's triggered. So we think about just the external stuff. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're just talking about, well, 
It says this in the law, and they know all the stipulations, they know all the conditions, and they, they know the word inside out, but do they know it inside? Is it stored up in them, or do they just know the outside? The temptation of not searching the condition of your heart is to stay external in our practices. He points the Pharisees back inside. As humans, this is our propensity to always negotiate the minimums. Okay, so there's divorce, right? Okay, so how far can I go? until we actually have to get divorced. Or, or what, what, we, we just negotiate the minimums. Again, let's talk about these views on divorce at this time. A liberal view means, what can I do before it's wrong? And then the conservative view of divorce in this time is, what can't I do in order to be right? Do you see how those are both fundamentally incorrect? <laughs> those are fundamentally the wrong approach and perspective on divorce. God said, this is a matter of the heart. Jesus is reminding all of us who are listening to this message that we can't make divorce and marriage about what I cannot do, how far I can go, or what I can get away with. It's not about that. It's not about external. If, if God was worried about just the externals, then he'd just be a judge ready to just like cut you off the moment you made a mistake. But God is not after the external things. He's not after just your behavior. He's after a relationship with you and the relationship starts in your heart when you say, oh God, I love you. I love you. And he's not saying, oh, just love me on the outside by coming to church, by paying your tithe. No, he's saying love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. It can't just be about the externals. God is about the internals. He's about your heart. He's about the condition of your heart. We're going to approach marriage and divorce much differently when we analyze and remember the condition of our heart. You've you got to hear me about the character of God here. In Malachi 2, 13 through 16, he does say, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he says this, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. This here shows the graciousness of God. It shows the goodness of a loving God and his heart towards the wives who were being divorced left and right in this time. It said, do not divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. This is less about what you can't do, and it's protecting the heart of this woman. It's about the heart he has for people. This is the God we're serving. This is why all the stipulations, this is why all the conditions, because God is a God who loves the person, who values the person. So guard your hearts. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And I'm going to say this right here. It really doesn't mesh in with the message, but you can be unfaithful to your wife without actually sleeping with another woman. You can be unfaithful to your husband without actually sleeping with another man. I want you to guard your heart. Next, how do we respond to the tests in our lives? We need to refer the word of God. Wait, wasn't that your point like two messages ago or two points ago? Yeah. Now let's refer back to the word because that's exactly what Jesus does. You know, he says, what did Moses say? And he, what what he could have done is say, what did Moses say? Remember that peace out. I got to (laughs) go. Right? It's like, okay. Oh, oh, what, what do I think about black lives matter? Oh, just read the Bible. Bye. And then you just walk away. Like that, that's what 
Jesus could have done, but no, he says, he goes back into the word and he brings everybody back into three more verses to really understand the text. If we as Christians can be guilty, I think as Christians we can be guilty of when we're confronted by difficult subject matter, like let's, I mean, the list goes on, politics, um, healthcare, systemic racism, economic policy, we can become guilty of avoiding these issues and not giving people a chance to hear the truth of how we should be approaching these messages. We can be accused of being passive and avoiding, having that avoidance. But God wants us to share the truth because the truth transforms. So I believe that Jesus is challenging everybody by referring back to the word and he's saying why do you believe what you believe is it just because Moses said it or is it because you're actually reading the word and understanding it for what it actually says and so we are going to go into a time of just looking through what does marriage actually mean what is it all about so Jesus doesn't just ignore the actual issue and say oh yeah I'm thinking on things above not on earthly things no he does still want to teach on the subjects at hand so let's read it Verse, verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9, 10, 6 through 9. <clears throat> but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You guys, that's really simple. Nowhere else in the Bible is the word marriage described outside of the realm of a man and wife. This is the principle upon which the rest of the scriptures are founded and built on. That's the truth, and that's, that was set from the beginning of time. Second, it says in verse 7 and 8, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is what I remind Caleb all the time, that we are one flesh. I don't know why I did that. I was just actually thinking about how we share a lot of clothes. So we are one flesh, and we can share each other's clothes. Oh, no, I take your clothes. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, I actually talked to him super respectfully. Okay, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> marriage is about unity. Marriage is about unity. Unity, unity, unity. In divisive times, I can't think of a greater example of the kingdom than marriages that are working because marriages, when two become one, can be the hardest thing. It can be the hardest thing, but the purpose of it was that we would be united to one another. And third, the mar- the, verse 9, it says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, this holy union is a miracle of God. Marriage is a miracle of God. And I love, I just want to summarize this by what C.S. Lewis says. The Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and wife are to be regarded as a single organism. Honey, we're a single organism. For that is what the words one flesh would be modern would be in in modern English. And the Christians believe that when he said, when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment about stating a fact, just as one is stating a fact when one says that a lock and its key are not mechanism, or that are not one mechanism, or that a violin and a bow are one musical instrument. Without the musical bow, <laughs> I'm totally just tripping up over this, but without the bow and the violin, there can be no music. Without a, a, a lock and a key, there is not one mechanism. 
the Bible is telling us that there's unity and we're of one flesh and that's a miracle of God. Anybody who's still in a marriage today, it is a miracle of God that we are still together. It is a miracle of God that you're still together. It's a miracle of God. And so let God be glorified in our relationships and let us reveal how much he loves us by sticking with it, by persevering, by guarding our hearts, by protecting our marriage, by protecting our relationships, by protecting what we watch, by protecting who we're listening to, by protecting who we're talking to. Let's guard our hearts and say this is about unity. And at divisive times, our families need to be the strongest they've ever been. Our marriages need to be stronger than they've ever been before. In divisive times, the church may not have to speak exactly to that exact topic and tell us who we should be voting for, but maybe we can just exemplify love and unity in our marriages. That's enough to handle right now. That's enough to take care of. That is a lot that we're taking care of right now. Marriage. And finally... How do we approach or respond to these tests? Number five, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. I'm just, I'm telling you, I think we're just getting so caught up listening to everybody and listening to this world and being distracted. And then we're just like, we kind of get lost and it's because we need to go back to Jesus. I love what the disciples do here after Jesus addresses the Pharisees. Verse 10, it says, when they were in the house again, The disciples asked Jesus about this. They asked Jesus about this. Because here's the thing that happens. I think sometimes when we're in these corporate settings, there's these moments where there's this corporate revelation. But sometimes we need to take that corporate revelation and have an intimate relationship with God and allow him to speak that to us individually. This is not a matter of being right and wrong and standing on the right side of this issue or not. This is about forming and cultivating a relationship with a loving father, with a loving God. So let's go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Jesus continues and he talks about divorce and the, whether or not you can get remarried and some more stipulations. And I, I, I was thinking, man, maybe I could really dissect that for everybody. But and I don't want to avoid it and I don't want to. Totally avoid it, but I also want to know. At thi- want you to know that at this point, you understand the heart of God with marriage and divorce. That these stipulations and these boundaries are just revealing that He He wants good for you. If we understand the heart of God, then these parameters that He's giving, that He shares with the disciples, are just gracious allowances and protecting boundaries for our lives. And so listen, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing with, these, with the Pharisees is that they've heard of this gospel, but they have all these thoughts on these other issues. And so what works for them is to fit the gospel into the constructs and confines of their un- own understanding. But what we need to do is allow the gospel to radically shape and change our constructs and our way of thinking, the gospel has to be what shapes our beliefs. Here's the thing. It says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, I did wonder, like seriously, was it just that divorce was a hot topic right now? All the scholars and teachers and religious people of the day, they were arguing about this all the time. And I'm like, why do you spend so much time talking about this? And then I was reminded, husbands love your wives as Christ 
loved the church. As Christ loved the church. This is less about our own earthly marriages and has more to do with the eternal union between Christ and his church. It's about Christ and his church. Why is he so sad for the woman who is divorced? Why is he why 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 does he beg? Why does he beg the men of that day to not divorce their wives and not to be unfaithful to them? Because he would never do that to his beloved bridegroom. He would never do that to his wife. He sees the church. He sees you as his bridegroom. He loves you like a husband should love the church, his wife, excuse me. See, on the cross, Christ was cut off from his father. Do you remember the whole passage that I read earlier? That a man will leave his father, will leave his father and cling to his wife. Christ on the cross was cut off from his father so that he could die and restore us to relationship with him. This is all about his relationship with the church and how much he loves the church and how much he would abandon his father so that he would be severed. He would be, he would be far away from him and he would take on all sin, all sin that would separate him from God so that he can reconcile us back to himself. He loves us so much. Why is he talking about divorce? Why is he talking about this? Because it's a picture of what he does not want to happen with us and him, with the church and Christ. Let us, church, not be unfaithful to our spouse. Let us not break that bond that is meant to last for eternity and that is going to restore us, that's going to bring us health and bring us joy and bring us peace. Listen, there are people in this room who have been not in relationship with God and who have been separated from Christ. And he's telling us and he's reminding us and he's discipling us through this moment of talking about divorce. And he's saying, I'm coming after you. I wanna make it practically impossible for you to be separated from me. I am chasing after you. I'm, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you the way that I want Caleb to pursue me. I'm just kidding, kind of. Shoot, that was a really serious moment. Jesus is pursuing us today. But it's not about the externals, guys. It's about the internals. What is God speaking to your heart right now? How is he moving your heart? May it be the truth of his word that says, I love you so much that I just want you to come at the foot of the cross, lay down all condemnation, lay down all guilt, and just let me purify you. That's what he wants to do in this moment. And so if you are feeling like you're away from Christ, if you feel like you've been unfaithful to him, he says, I'm gonna do anything for us to be together. I'm going to do anything for us to come together. I'm chasing after you. I want you to have a relationship with me. I am about the relationship. I am not about the externals. I'm not about your mistakes. I'm not about punishing your mistakes. I'm about bringing you into reconciliation with me because I want your life to have full joy, love, and peace. So if you're in this place, in this place, or if you're listening on the other side of the screen and you're thinking, man, I've been unfaithful to a loving God who, continues to pursue me. 
If that's you, he's saying, come on home. Come home. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. I will bring unity back to us. Where there has been division, I will bring unity because I have the power to do that. What I did on the cross has the power to bring you back into unity with me. So wherever you're at, look, would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your love for me. I accept it into my life. I believe that it can restore me. And I confess my need of your love. I confess my need of your forgiveness. I'm not perfect, but I want to serve a perfect God who loves perfectly and will do anything for us to be in unity, even give his life. So give me the strength to live for you, to love you, with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, with everything. I love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, I just want to congratulate you because you have made the most important decision you could ever make in your life. Amen. Pray that you're blessed today and just trust that a miracle has taken place in our hearts because we open up the word and it's going to transform you. That is a miraculous word. So join with us, sing with us as we sing one last song, one last song. With our this worship. word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.